The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from within the Eye of Harmony, it's Doctor Who, Pachak. Skateboard. Come on. Crack it open. It's doing nothing. Use a thermal charge and blast it. No, 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 wait. It's like, it's alive. She's... Looks like there's a broken fuel line. All right, all right, throw it back. No salvage today, boys. Open the bay doors. Wait. Somebody's under that thing. The crew was still on board when we dragged her in. We did nothing. If anyone knows, Right? The ship was already busted. You got that? It's rude to whisper. Hi, I'm the doctor. And you are? Uh, and Balen and... Van Balen. Van Balen and Van Balen. It's going to get confusing later. We found you drifting. Yeah, your ship was junked up pretty bad. What broke my ship was a magno grab. Clara, she's still on board. No, wait! Your pod is leaking fuel. Is she still in there? She's dead. If you help me get her out, you get the machine or the scrap. Hey! It's not worth the risk. Four feet of metal? Nah. What if I can guarantee you the best haul you've ever had? Bram, open the bay doors. No, no, please stop! Listen, listen. Right behind those doors is the salvage of a lifetime. Red flashing light means something bad. Get out of here fast. Possibly, whatever you do, don't open this door. Bad decision. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who, Pachak, episode 293. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this show, once again, across the Great Pond, is Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Oh, yeah, yeah, I put a new outfit on for today as well, just all special like. Oh, can't wait to see it. It seems to be the theme. <laughs> well, also with us is Mr. Taras Natitian right here uh, on this side of the coast with me. Taras, hello. Welcome back. Hello. Poised to press that big reset button. <laughs> A big friendly reset button. Well, uh, is there any other kind? Well, yeah. It's sometimes Just don't, let, don't get your fingers burnt. Sometimes buttons can be scary, but <laughs> but yeah, a big friendly button. So as um, this, uh, as you probably can tell, if, um, those that are listening, and I'm assuming if you're 
you're, you're listening, if you're hearing my voice, uh, we'll be reviewing in this episode, uh, shortly we'll be reviewing the episode, a, The Journey through, through the Center of the TARDIS. Actually, it's not The Journey, it's just Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. But first, we're going to take a journey through the news of Doctor Who, and it's not a lot of news, but it's interesting nonetheless. So the first biggest news event, which the internet went <laughs> stuttered and, and stumbled and went a little, uh, at least if, if you're a Doctor Who fan on the internet, um, it, was, it was all over the place. Once, Well, this is, we're recording this on Wednesday, so I think it was Monday when um, news broke that uh, they released, they revealed the, the, the costume that Peter Capaldi will be wearing, the 12th Doctor. So it's, um, if you haven't seen it yet, it's, I don't know where, you, where you've been, but you haven't been on the internet. But it's, it's everywhere, including our site, uh, podshock.net. But it's, if you go to the Doctor Who site, BBC, you know, the BBC Doctor Who site, they have uh, a large photo of it there. So if, if, you wanna, if you're listening right now and if, you have, if you're not driving or anything else, you could take a gander at it while we, um, while we talk about it. So, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's my first impression of it was that it's just it's very reminiscent of uh, John Pertwee's um, outfit. It's not exa- obviously it's it's not you know a John Pertwee outfit, but there's a definite deliberate nod I would say to that. So much even so that the photograph itself is similar to uh, uh, another, and the pose that he's doing is similar to another John Pertwee. Uh, um, st- like a studio photo of him, you know, with uh, with as far as John Pertwee goes, he was wearing a cape and and whatnot with the red lining. And he, Peter Capaldi's outfit is um, one where he's not wearing a cape, but he does have a jacket that has a red lining in it, which which again um, goes back to um, it's an echo to uh, to like the John Pertwee hour. But it's it's really that's about it, really. I mean, if anything. Um, you know, comparing the two, you know, the Peter Capaldi outfit is much more conservative. And um, in fact, perhaps for my taste, a little bit too conservative. But he's he's not wearing any form of neckwear. So, you know, obviously the bow tie is gone, but there's there's no tie at all. And uh, the trousers and footwear are um, a bit reminiscent of, of the 11th Doctor, I would say. Uh, you know, it's different. The, the, he's not. It's not short trousers, or you know, which was the case a little bit with um, with uh, Matt Smith, but he's not wearing trainers like the Eleventh Doctor. That's the, the um, apparently the Doc Martens. So I guess he stole them from um, from from Martin Clunes. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's a reference to the TV show Doc Martin. Well, I guess cardigans are back in now. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, overall, I mean, I like it. I just felt it was, uh, it's, a, it's a little conservative. But now with that said, it's still just the first, uh, it's the initial costume right now. So over, you know, with each doctor over time, the costume mature, the, you know, it, they, they add things or they, it, they do a slightly different, you know, just like, we, just like what happened with the 11th doctor and the 10th doctor before him. Um, not so much with the 9th doctor because he only had one season, but I think over time, you know, we'll see this change slightly um, as as we go forward with it. And we also need to see him in action right now. Uh, this is pretty much, you know, him 
in a photographed in a studio with like this white void behind him. So, you know, I think once we see him in live action and see how it works and all that, it, we might have a the, different the take pose, on it. The pose of the, uh, the publicity photo yes. kind of looks like a magician almost. Yeah, it, 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 it somewhat <laughs> but it's another thing that the internet did there. Everyone had a, well, everyone and their uncle had a go at it as far as putting him in a disco out, you know, in a dis, disco uh, or, um, um, motif, you know, with the ball and the lights and all that. Someone else did a magician. They put a floating woman underneath him where his hand is up front. Uh, and put and put a magician's hat on him, uh, and put bunnies, rabbits on the floor. You know, um, supposedly, you know, uh, you know that they go with magician magicians as well. So, uh, you know what his outfit is missing—a stovepipe hat. <laughs> yes, yeah, and a, and a walking stick. I, I, I would have said it was more like a hypnotist sort of uh, style, a look uh, in, in in his um, in his pose. You know, yeah. He's trying to mesmerise one uh, there somewhat. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a rather brave decision. I mean, we, we we've known for some time when we've looked at uh, the other doctors that having that slightly longer cut coat, and of course, it's it's you know, he's not going to sort of. Balloon like the tent doctor with his with his big coat, uh, you know, doing his. Uh, 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 as as we've noticed, or uh, some people have noticed, you know, uh, where where the new Sherlock has that same sort of mm-hmm. billowy, cloaky effect. But yet the extra length that just that coat gives, and I'm, I'm assuming that listeners, while we're talking, have, have either seen the picture yeah. or have um, you know, you can bring it to mind. Um, so that length cut that he's got is one of these that will work in many different eras. So, you know, if if we do have some historic uh, uh, episodes, it, it wouldn't go amiss in that. But it is a completely defrilled Third Doctor outfit. I oh, mean, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's been um, cut back almost uh, to an austere form, other than... Uh, the, the the hidden inner lining, which I think is, it, is it Abercrombie and Fitch. I think I read somewhere that actually uh, the that site for the clothiers actually went down. There were so many people uh, checking out the site. Well, it's a Crombie coat, three quarter right. length Crombie coat. Right, but the, the actual particular lining, I think, is is particularly one of the one of their well-known styles. Um, the, the, but it's almost a costume of two halves because we've got the sort of slightly Edwardianish look without obviously anything around your neck, as you you already said. But yeah, almost semi semi militaristic with the with the uh, the narrower trousers and the the highly polished uh, rather. You know, well, there's obviously the solid Doc Martin boots. What I do like about it, and um, one of the things that um, does appeal to me, that and, and, and I'm not getting at Americans here, please don't think that, but I do feel as though any, any American director of a series where they had the leading man, you'd have some of the suits in the background. <laughs> That's not a pun, but some of the suits in the background. See, <laughs> we can't have our leading man with grey hair. You know, um, tell him to dye his hair brown. You know, get the, you know, we could have a we could have a little touch of uh, grey to show that he's intelligent. You know, a little front. But I mean, we can't have him. He looks over forty. We can't have that. Um, where one of the great things about um, the Doctor 
and the actual uh, well, first of all, I think there'd be less pressure in this country to do that because we've had, as you, you quite rightly say, when we come back to the third doctor and so on, um, the fact that he's playing somebody, heaven knows how long. I mean, I think Tyrus and myself tried to have a stab at it last week. Uh, somewhere between 15 and 1,700 years old he must be now. Um, this, you know, having grey in his hair is not... Not an indication. It doesn't really matter whether he looks 40 or 50 or whatever, because no, no age is anywhere near the doctor's real age. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is uh, very good. He's got it quite short. I remember, by the way, I've just, um, uh, I've only just got, well, a couple of months ago for Christmas, I got um, the Blu ray version of Spearhead from Space. Uh, and it did surprise me when I watched that after not watching it for a while, how, how short. Uh, John Pertwee's hair was his third doctor initially, yeah, yeah, and it went more bouffant <laughs> as he went along. Yeah, yeah. But this is, um, this is, I mean, admittedly, you know, famously when he was announced as the doctor, he, he was uh, sporting this um, this beard from being in Musketeers. Uh, won't be any more spoiler than that. Uh, and obviously, he's now being able to shave that off, but. You would have thought at the point of shaving that off, that if they wanted to have done, would have been the time to have altered him in any more drastic way. And I'm glad that they've actually left him with that sort of rather distinguished look. He looks as though whatever time zone they're going to go into, uh, and I think this is quite a good thing about the Doctor, you know, he, he can exude this air of authority. Now, Matt Smith, and sorry it's gone so long, Taras and uh, Lewis, but... Um, one thing about Matt Smith was, uh, although he, I didn't think he did silly very well, he could play old, so he could still, mm. he could still. I mean, like in High, we we're talking about that. He could sort of waltz into that mansion and have the air of, you know, one of their scientific advisors, and people wouldn't question him. But I do feel as though that he, he looks more as though he's going to be able to play that gravitas off a little bit better. Anyway, I've talked far too long, so let's see what Taras has to say. Well, I like what Peter Capaldi himself said about the, uh, the costume. He said, he's woven the future from the cloth of the past, simple, stark, and back to basics. No frills, no scarf, no messing, just 100% rebel time lord. Yeah, well, it's very much um, back to basics. I mean... It, to the sense, you know, where it's it's a bit similar to Hartnell, you know, without the red lining, it's, um, you know, and with well, Hartnell had the tie, and uh, so it's, it's even... Well, he also had the, uh, what was it, the check trousers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I just, it's it's even more basic than that, yeah. And Stephen Moffat's comments are, are equally good, aren't they, there? Uh, new Doctor, new era, and, of course, new clothes. Monsters of the universe, the vacation is over. Capaldi is suited and booting and coming to get you. <laughs> yeah, I, and just for those that are listening that may not, um, just to um, elaborate on what Dave was saying about the, the coat length, it's above the knee, it's below the waist, but below, it's between the waist and the knee, so it's not... When when Dave was saying it's not going to be billowing like, like the tenth Doctors or um, you know or or Captain Jack Harkness with that like um, army um, you know that military yeah, the coat officers you know. yeah yeah so it's not it's not like that but then again you know we don't know what he uh, a couple seasons from now he may be sporting something else you know I mean I just hope we don't I mean I I just don't like to see the Doctor's outfit. 
become a uniform, which was pretty much the case uh, yeah. when JNT came yeah. aboard. Um, everyone um, initially, you know, it was understandable when Tegan was a, um, you know, was a stewardess, or whatever, and she had that uniform on. But everyone seemed to be uniformed in in their outfits and non-changing. Where doctors previously to um, to the JNT era. Tom Baker himself, since JNT came at Tom Baker's last season, uh, he had um, you know the scarf, the and, and and the long coat and whatnot. But it would it it would vary. It wasn't exactly the same time after time. And then JNT gave him that burgundy thing, and that's all he wore the whole that whole season of. And then and then going forward, that seemed to be the motif of. Uh, though it did loosen up a bit once the. Um, you know the the other characters started wearing. You know, once he allowed Tegan and and the rest to start wearing other outfits. So I mean, I'm just hoping that Peter Capaldi's Doctor, you know, will see variations of this theme through his tenure. Do we like the new costume? Yeah, I I, I like it. I like I said, it's it's a it's a little, little too conservative for my taste, but otherwise, um, but I I don't dislike it. I, I mean, I like it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I suppose it'll see how it plays as a, as a you know how it matches in with his persona. I suppose, uh, but it certainly seems as though Peter Capaldi has already got his style, and, and presumably, with the, we talked about it, didn't we? The, the secret sort of um, that Stephen Moffat had actually gone to Peter Capaldi's house, where he'd done a sort of a. Uh, gone through his ideas of how he would play the Doctor and so on. So they're obviously on the same page, at least at the start. And um, it, it, it almost feels like a reboot. I mean, we 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 had this thing about this is the first, you know, although we're, well, I'm continuing to call him the 12th Doctor, uh, as Tara said, he's, he's basically the f- first, is it the first Doctor of, of the second, the Cycle. second coming? <laughs> <laughs> Second uh, cycle of uh, regenerations. Yeah. So with each new doctor, and 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 usually with each new producer, the the show is rebooted in a sense anyway. So it's it's to be expected. I that it, it's it's sort of a restart or a reboot. And mentioning how it uh, will look in action, there's already a few uh, videos available showing. Uh, Location shooting and some of the shooting that's and uh, people the costume that, in action. Uh, you know, this is stuff that was captured, you know, via you know cell phone video. Uh, you know, people on the street. So it's it's not the best quality, but you could at least see how how it looks in a natural setting, even if it's a city but block. But our listeners should be aware that uh, there are already spoilers for certain uh, things that happen in the episode with some of those. So if yeah. people are averse to those, they may need to be careful in uh, how they uh, search out this information. Yeah, just be aware of that. There was, well, in the, in the States, there was the Grammys recently, but uh, there was... Um, Another awards show that Big Finish won for best online, or, or was this is this was this part of the Grammys? No, was it? No, I didn't think so. No, no. But I think it, it coincided around the same time, though. Anyway, yeah, they, they won an award for best online or non-broadcast audio drama, 
at the, oh, it's at the, silly me, I should have read the whole thing. <laughs> at the 2014 BBC Audio Drama Awards. Boy, we look professional now. Yeah, well, this is what you get from, this is what you get from missing staff meetings. I'm speaking of myself. Ian's fault. <laughs> When Ian's not here, blame and they Ian. want it for Dark Eyes, which is an Eighth Doctor uh, serial. Yeah, four-part story, uh, obviously with Paul McGann reprising his roles. The Eighth Doctor, I've got a feeling that, I mean, that should really give it a boost. What with the, the, uh, you know, the the Day of the Doctor, or should I say, the Night of the Doctor, and uh, this um, lovely. Um, and by the way, that, that's one thing. Just add in. Uh, there's a slight uh, bit of the Eighth Doctor. Well, not the Eighth Doctor's costume from the, the TV movie, but that sort of... Um, oh, uh, yeah. The... There's a little bit of the Eighth Doctor in there from... From the, 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 from his the mini episode. Yeah. Costume. yeah, yeah. He's having a bit of a resurgence, or I, well, I wouldn't say a resurgence, but it may be a discovery of new fans that may not have been familiar, may, ha- may not have seen the 1996 movie. And saw the the mini episode, and now are you know, or maybe now they want to find out more about the Eighth Doctor and uh, some of his um, adventures. So, this could be you know, only good news for Big Finish because uh, you know they have this large catalog um, of, of what an enormous catalog. Oh, well, of, of, I mean, of Paul McGann. I was uh, they oh, have right, a, a range of episodes of Paul McGann, you know, featuring Paul McGann. So. We've only saw a little. And, and there's a new series of Dark Eyes that's going to be uh, coming up later this year, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Yeah, uh, I must admit, I was uh, I had a little chuckle to myself when I was watching uh, uh, the Bletchley Circle that's just restarted. Well, it's just had a second run here in the UK, and when I was watching um, the Fiveish Doctors, uh, one of the great puns in that is that. Uh, Paul McGann says, you know, I'm in, uh, uh, work permitting, of course, you know, which is in joke. He's, he's always working. And uh, he made a little cameo appearance in that. So uh, it's good to see anything. That, I mean, there's, he's got an awful lot of fans as Paul McGann. So uh, this is great. You know, because we've only had a couple of hours, you know, between the BBC uh, TV movie, the, the Fox joint, Universal joint, BBC uh, 1996 TV movie, and the the mini episode, so his screen time is limited, but there's a whole wealth of um, adventures available in audio format from Big Finish, which was also some of them, uh, at least I would say, offhand, I, they could be more, uh, but I would say at least a dozen of them were on BBC Seven, the radio um, station in the UK. They they had a couple of seasons on uh, yeah airing on. BBC Seven. Yeah, I remember that. So I, um, I remember, uh, you know, the, the, and they were available. You could listen to them on via the internet as well. You know, for like uh, yeah. a, a limited time, a week or two for each episode. So um, uh, what was it? Spare parts, uh, chimes of midnight, think storm warning, sword of Orion. Uh, spare ones... parts was not a uh, Paul McGann story. Was it not? All oh, right. No, that's a Peter Davison. Ah. The Chimes of Midnight was one of my favourites. That yes. was definitely one. Uh, horror horror, horror of Glam Rock well. wasn't it? Wasn't there was an episode yes. like Horror of Glam Rock? Yes, that was one of the radio yes, ones. Yes, there was. They had an interesting uh, alternate version of the theme for that. Mm. 
So definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you miss them on the radio, uh, obviously uh, the, you can get them on um, CDs, you know, through Big Finish. Yeah. Immortal Beloved. Or download. They're also available for download from the Big Finish site. Yes, that's that's, yeah, it, that's true. I forgot about that. Immortal Beloved, that was the other one I was trying to think of. Yeah, I believe that's one of the radio ones. That was one of the ones that was broadcast yeah, on yeah. radio. Yeah, most of the ones I've got are from the, the BBC 7 that's now defunct, but is there as BBC 4 Extra. Uh, and, and speaking of digital downloads or streaming, I should say that the, the iPlayer, BBC iPlayer in 2013, that Doctor Who came in as the third most watched show, which, um, you know... The which, 50th anniversary uh, special. The 50th anniversary Specifically. special. Specifically. Was the uh, third most watched item on uh, the iPlayer. And didn't that even exceed the the Olympics? Or am I mistaken? Well, the Olympics hasn't happened in 2013. So. Oh, well, that's okay. But <laughs> uh, The only two things that uh, beat out the 50th anniversary special were two episodes of Top Gear, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. All right. Which is a very popular series on both sides of the pond. Hmm. I think you can. I think it's available on BBC America in the states, or is that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And there is also an American version, which uh, I don't believe is as good. It never is. <laughs> I'm just having a very quick look at the um, the BBC Radio Four Extra, the Doctor Who page and their drama. Uh, and currently, not the Eighth Doctor. There, uh, you can listen now to the third episode of Pyramids of Mars, with the uh, fourth episode soon so that's uh, on the and I don't think the radio is region locked so I don't know about episodes one and two but uh, you know, listen to that yes the radio stuff is available worldwide if I'm not mistaken I think that again there's not a lot of news but um, like I said the, the news that we did you know have... what we forgot though Lewis your typewriter <gasps> Oh, I knew there was something missing. I t couldn't put my finger on it. <laughs> well, fingers, I should say, on it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know, you, you have that feeling, oh, I'm forgetting something, and it's just, you know, it puts you a little bit off kilt. But then again, I'm always off kilt because I don't wear a kilt. Well, well we could <laughs> use it as an outro instead of an intro this week. Yes, yes. All right, well, I guess we'll be right back with more Dr. Upachuk and our review of Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Hello, this is Katie Manning, and you're listening to Dr. Who Podshock, or as I read it, Pooshock. <laughs> our review of Journey to the Center of the Tardis will begin shortly, but first, it's that time of the show where we speak about Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks, but you probably already knew that if you are a longtime listener to Dr. Who Podshock. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, be it sci-fi or comedy, business, romance, you name it, Audible has it covered. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, more than 500 devices for your listening anytime and anywhere. 
Now, for you listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audio book download with a free 30-day trial to give you to give yourself a chance to check out their service. And if you decide, well, it's not for you, keep the free audio book. Yes, keep the free audio book. Now, to download your free audio book, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audio book. And if you're driving, you can't write that URL down, you can't type it, whatever. Just go to our website. There's links there to the offer as well. Our website is podshock.net, if you didn't know that. Now, we're going to recommend something that's... um tied to the TARDIS in a sense. As I said, we're reviewing Journey to the Center of the TARDIS in this episode, so our selection for this audio book is Doctor Who Tales from the TARDIS, Volume 1. It's 9 hours and 30 minutes worth of Doctor Who goodness. Well, it's uh, written by... Um, it's, it's a collection of stories. It's written by uh, Brian Hales, Terence Dix, Eric Sayward, and voicing the, the stories, uh, narrating the stories, if you will, um, is John Pertwee, Colin Baker, Peter Davison, Nicholas Courtney, Sophie Aldred, and Nicholas and Nicola Bryant. So uh, there's 12 stories here. So the stories are uh, The Curse of Peladon, read by John Pertwee, Kinda, uh, Peter Davison, Attack of the Cybermen, uh, read by uh, Colin Baker, um, and then there's um, Out of Darkness, read by Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant, and then there's a whole bunch of, um, I think there were six other stories that are read by uh, Nicholas Courtney and Sophie Aldred. So uh, a lot of material here to cover. Let's hear a little bit from the John Pertwee Cursor Peladin story. The fury of the storm over Mount Magestra was increasing. Suddenly, solidifying out of thin air, a large blue box fell victim to the wind's claws. It lurched ominously, coming to rest on a rocky ledge poised over the chasm below. The interior of the box made nonsense of its outward appearance, instead of what an earthling of the twentieth century would recognize as a police telephone box, its interior space was unlimited and styled with an elegant futurism. At its center stood a cylindrical complex of controls and monitoring equipment. The hands that operated the controls belonged to a tall man, his exuberant shock of white hair topping a lean but humorous face which smiled with boyish pleasure. His companion, a natural prettiness made even more beautiful by the evening dress she wore under her cloak, was less amused. Oh, there you are, Joe, said the doctor. A perfect landing. Well, nearly anyway. And he smiled. It's all right for you to grin, Joe said irritably. Here am I, all dolled up for an evening on the town with Mike Yates. Why I let you talk me into coming for a joyride in this thing, I don't know. A short hop, you said. We've been gone for hours. My dear Joe, comforted the doctor, we'll have arrived back only seconds after we left, if not sooner. This is the TARDIS, you know, not a number 88 bus. Oh, well, <laughs> that's all right, then, said Joe brightly. If you'll just open the doors and let me out. The TARDIS gave a sudden shudder, and then an abrupt lurch. Joe was sent helplessly spinning against the doctor, who'd also been thrown off balance. They steadied each other. The TARDIS was now at an angle well out of true. Doctor, 
Are you sure we're back at Unit HQ? Well, there's only one way to find out, Joe, he said. You stay here. I'm taking a look outside. As the doors opened, the devil wind ripped and roared its way into the TARDIS, nearly blowing them off their feet. But as the doctor fought against the wind, his movement towards the door seemed to steady the tilting balance of the craft, until he stepped outside. With his weight removed, the TARDIS leaned even more alarmingly, and Joe clung helplessly to the control panel. Well, outside, the doctor was applying all his weight to the lower edge of the TARDIS's doorframe, desperately trying to hold the balance. The ledge on which the TARDIS was resting was little more than a narrow shelf of crumbling rock. It needed very little to send the blue box toppling down to the chasm below, and there wasn't a moment to lose. The doctor spoke calmly. Yes, well, we've got ourselves halfway up a mountain, Joe. The TARDIS is balanced on the edge of a rock shelf. Just don't sneeze, that's all. Well, what do you want me to do? Get down on your hands and knees. Yeah, that's it. Now, move towards me slowly, very slowly, very slowly. Now, give me your right hand. Yeah, that's it, that's it. Now, now the other hand. Taking all her weight, the doctor leaned hard backwards and said, Pull yourself out. Now! In a flurry of dust and rocks, Joe tumbled outside, falling on top of the doctor all of a heap. But safe. Breathless, she saw him staring past her. When she turned, the TARDIS was gone. Kneeling there together, Joe and the Doctor watched the tumbling fall of the blue box as it vanished into the echoing shadows far beneath them. Joe gasped with horror. It'll be smashed to bits. The Doctor drew her back from the edge gently. No, it won't, Joe, he said. The TARDIS may have its faults, but it, it is indestructible. Our real worry is how to get to it from here. Joe followed his gaze upwards along the line of a broken path. And as they looked, a flash of lightning lit the crags above them, and they saw the grim castle which topped the mountain peak far above. Yes, I think we'll go and ask for help, said the doctor. And that was John Pertwee reading The Curse of Paladin, which he starred in as well as the third Doctor. And uh, this could be your audible selection. It doesn't have to be. You could choose something else. Again, whatever you choose, it's your free copy. You can sample, you're sampling what Audible has to offer. If you decide you don't want to continue it, that's fine. Keep your free copy. Again, to get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial, one word, audibletrial.com forward slash Podchock for your free audiobook. Yes, it's Van Clara. 
It's found it. She is right there. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Why have you got zombie creatures? Good guys do not have zombie creatures. Rule one, basic storytelling. Not in front of the guests. All right, look, a deal's a deal. You got the girl back. Now cancel the self-destruct. Ah. Ah. <laughs> there is no self-destruct. So you're telling us we're safe? Ish. Apart from the monsters and the TARDIS reinventing the architecture every five minutes. Guys, don't worry. The countdown's a fake. Look, just give me a second. I'll turn it off. I only made it look as though the engine was actually exploding. Ah. Okay, that's not good. Okay, don't panic. Or maybe panic. Something you want to share with the rest of us? It appears the engine is damaged. We're in trouble, Clara. Proper trouble. It needs fixing or we're toast. So now would be a good time to use that big friendly button, right? Yes, sorry, I should have had one built in. Where are we going? Detour! The center of the TARDIS. And welcome back to Dr. Podshock as we go um, journey through the center of the TARDIS with our review of Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. And as always, before we go any further... Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 Well, there'll be spoilers. So if you haven't seen this episode, you may want to pocket this until you have. Spoilers! <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah. Um, Journey to the Center of the Tardis was a, uh, from last series, uh, it was, it came out, it was, um, was broadcast on the 27th of April, 2013. And it's, uh, was written by Stephen Thompson and directed by Matt King. And, um, obviously it's a, um, Matt Smith episode as the 11th Doctor and Gina, uh, Jenna Louise Coleman as, uh, playing his companion, Clara Oswald. And... We see more of the TARDIS, which is always a good thing since Doctor Who's come back. You know, it's very rare that we do see um, something other than the, than the council room. So it's always a treat when we get to see the, the TARDIS again. And uh, once again, the, the TARDIS is a character in this story, which really goes back to the beginning of Doctor Who with um, the Edge of Destruction and, you know, the, the TARDIS having... Um, an identity, an, an identity of its own, and, and a, pretty much a, a personality and a consciousness of, of its own, really. Uh, and if we, in, perhaps not in the strictest form of the of the um, of it, but it's a it, what we consider a bottle episode where it's um, outside of the salvage ship. We don't really, you know, we're we're pretty much saying inside the TARDIS of the whole episode, though we do see some new some new stuff, some new rooms and whatnot in the TARDIS, which, like I said, is, is a, always a good treat. Um, yeah, and uh, when you said it aired on the uh, Saturday the 27th of April, that, in actual fact, was the actress Jenna's 27th birthday as well. Oh, Jenna Louise Coleman's uh, birthday. So, yeah. uh, happy belated birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's uh, 45 minutes in length. Um, I... I you know, it was it's a it's a nice treat. You know, after seeing a few episodes that had been pretty much Earth based, we had um, hide before this, 
then we had well, okay, the 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 um, the Rings of Akatan was an off-world adventure, but um, we had the the Bells of Saint John, and um, but then the outside of the well, parts of Hyde was in a pocket universe. Well, that's true. That's true. But we're actually not on any planet now. We're we're in space and on board the TARDIS, and which then was taken on board this salvage ship. So it's it's more of a sci-fi based story than um, perhaps. Uh, well, I don't want to really say that the other ones were that had, yeah, of course, had sci-fi elements in it, but uh, more of a space opera um, genre type of storytelling here. Uh, we even get to see a, a TARDIS self-destruct mechanism, which turns out not to be the case. But it, it, you know, anytime I see that, I always think of you know, you know, Star Trek because I, I'm not saying that they originated it, but it seems to um, that they seem to play off of it the most when it comes to science fiction. Uh, I, I thought the continuity here was a nice treat too. Anytime you see the inside of the TARDIS and you see. You see stuff that you've been even told about, or if you've seen before. Uh, here we see, obviously, the, um, we see the pool, but we also um, we visit the doctor's library, and, and there's also I, I don't know if, um, if if it was a storage room or, or whatnot, um, or part of the library where uh, where uh, Clara runs into like the, the cot or the crib of the doctor that we had seen previously. Amy's like craft toy TARDIS that she had. I'm assuming that she had built. Really, you know, just a little interesting things there. Um, and, and speaking of the library, we, we see what looks to be liquid encyclopedias, <laughs> in, like in bottles, and, um, and and sort of like a Harry Potter esque type of. Uh, do do they have those in Harry Potter? Imagery. Oh, just the imagery. Yeah. Well, they have something similar to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was really... They have liquid memories and things, yeah. You know, obviously we, we're... Um, this is April. We're leading up to the 50th anniversary. So it was it's, it was nice hearing because there was... Um, there's there's a certain scene with... Um, in the council room where you're hearing... Because basically there's fissures in time and the past is leaking into the present and the future as well, as we learn later on. But you can hear voices from various past adventures both in the console room and then one of these uh, liquid bottles, this like liquid encyclopedia started leaking and you can hear um, audio from, um, I believe it was the the end of time or um, anyway. So it, it's, it's sort of, you know, interweaving all these past adventures together in, in the story here, you know. But, and there was quite a bit of uh, various technologies from different past episodes of Doctor Who crammed into this, where we had uh, the Time Lord's living metal from uh, an old uh, Sylvester McCoy story with the the Mm -hmm. Nemesis statue. We find out that that's how the TARDIS can reconfigure itself, because uh, it has these things that are basically living metal. Yes, and Things of that nature. the the eye of harmony is um, if if you know features features prominently in, in, in this, this correct as well. yeah yeah um, I mean as you say this was a more sciencey one I mean we started with the sort of um, the red dwarf spaceship as it was <laughs> going through space and um, uh, we had what I thought were three fairly 
disappointing characters <clears throat> that were outside the, uh, you know, in this scavenging ship, as it were. Um, the, but the actual visuals of the ship look great. I was slightly disappointed when I saw it, um, it bringing in the TARDIS into the interior. <clears throat> Excuse me, because that looked very much like a model or a mat shot. Um, and then I, I was slightly disoriented and, and uh, concerned because uh, when the TARDIS is shown in the in the sort of uh, the the bulk of the machine and they were going to try and break into it, and then we have the, the we find they find the Doctor is laid out behind it, but the TARDIS door is closed. There's no idea of how he got out of it. Um, yeah. So it was a very strange thing. So I was twittering about that to myself. Um, but uh, once we actually got, as you say, the majority of the story took place in the TARDIS, that was really great. I mean, uh, um, having said that, uh, I mean, this was a very much anticipated story, getting to see inside the TARDIS, one that was most looked forward to by many people. But I must admit, watching it the first time, and by the way, I've come to like this episode quite a lot on about the third watching but on the first watching uh, for all the time I'd waited to see inside the TARDIS the the scenes that I enjoyed the most were exactly those scenes of just Clara, Clara herself uh, you know exploring through the TARDIS mm -hmm. I mean um, as you said we saw the um, uh, the library and some people have said well does does this um, you know the fact that we have these liquid books does that relate back to you know the uh, when they were using what were considered to be spells to bring the master back and uh, you know they were were they potions or were they you know documents from the Gallifreyan library uh, of, of of saying how to to do things uh, and obviously they didn't have the skill and it went wrong and and we all know the uh, uh, how the master came back and whether you liked it or not, there were some very strange side effects of his um, his regeneration. But does that add to that? We had, um, as you say, those things found. Uh, I think also was found like there was a magnifying glass. Yes. I think mm -hmm. it was an umbrella. Um, and of course, the doctor uh, Tar uh, Clara finds a book, um, which amazingly. <laughs> Amazingly, she opens it exactly the page that seems to have the doctor's name on, which was a little bit unbelievable. Um, yeah. Well, you. However, so now Clara, Clara learns the doctor's name now because she she alludes that she's seen she's she said she I've seen your name. So obviously Clara, whether or not she remembers it after this, but she said no. I don't think she rem I don't think she yeah. remembers because I think there's a there's a, a really gigantic reset. Yes. Button, isn't yeah. it? I mean, mm -hmm. this is about the most literal reset that you have. But Tara, uh, Tara, Tara, Tress, <laughs> Taras. <laughs> Yeah, because we're, we're talking about Clara, so you got Clara and Tom. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is that since the Doctor is so prominent during the Time War, as we find out in the 50th anniversary special, that she could have turned that book to almost any page and found the Doctor in it. Well, I was looking for his name, though. I was looking for an author on the on the cover, and there's no author listed, so I don't know who wrote this book. <laughs> but the doctor presumably wrote it. I don't know. They're the one that could have done, really, couldn't they? Um, uh, unless it was. It's sort of like that painting, uh, you know, from the 50th anniversary. Um, you know, the, the day of the doctor, where 
Gallifrey Falls, you know, who painted that? You know, we have to, the only one that could have painted it was the doctor because um, Gallifrey went into, um, as we, you know, as we know, well, again, we already did the spoiler alert, but as we know, Gallifrey goes into this pocket universe and. <laughs> but uh, but I, I I shouldn't go into a rat hole or uh, going into another episode. Let's I guess we'll stay on Tardis or stay on Target or stay on Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as uh, Dave mentioned, the uh, the guest characters were kind of uh, not very uh, three dimensional. They were sort of uh, almost cliched characters actually though it's kind of interesting that both of you say that because compared to like the time traveler that we saw in Hyde I thought these were fleshed out more they have a backstory and uh, you know they, they just seem to um, I mean they, oh, yeah they, they well, I think definitely they were not sympathetic characters no but they yeah. I, I thought they were more they thought were out than um, they seemed more like they, you know, they had some history, and we got to know them a little bit more than we did with I can't remember the character's name, but that the time traveler, or or the, um, the, the you know, that 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 creature, the the whatever that was in the woods. So I don't know. Well, I, 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 I suppose. Uh, I mean, in one sense, one of the things that I was thinking about was actually from the last episode, those creatures would still be in the TARDIS. In fact, at first I thought uh, that was going to be the spooky part because uh, the Doctor said he was going to take them somewhere where they could be together. But, um, well, I, I mean, I suppose it was the, the sort of way they were, they were playing jokes and being mean to one another. I mean, if you go back to something like... Um, uh, robots of death or something like that where you have people on a, that mining ship and they're out in space mm-hmm. they, you know they they had a, a structure and so on where these guys seem to be left to their own devices and um, it wasn't really clear whether they were working for a corporation or they were private but they certainly well apparently they, they were working they were brothers working with their father, father yeah. and there was an accident where the younger one lost his memory and the father died and uh then the uh the other brother wanted to become the captain so he convinced the uh injured brother who lost his memory that he was an android and i thought that was kind of like a cruel joke to play on on one's brother yeah, because they the, make the, him think that he was an android. The company was the Balin Brothers or something like that, that and that was their their family name. And so I, I just thought I didn't think they were working for anyone else. I just thought it was like a family business, where like right. Ter, like Taras said, there was um, right. a father and son type of business or, or sons, I should say. And then uh, when they lost the father, and then it was just the the three brothers, and then they played this cruel joke on one of them that you know that we we've come to learn. Um, I, th- I thought it was interesting. I remember watching this for the first time and seeing these creatures on the TARDIS, and I'm like, oh, uh, you know, it, it's it's it seems similar to like what we might see in Torchwood, where they would capture aliens and and hold them for. And like, was the Doctor doing something like this? And you know, before we learned who you know who these creatures really were, so I, I thought it was interesting um, play on that. You know, how how that. 
Well, well at this point, we've also set, we've also been told that things are leaking from the future as well. So um, it's not quite clear that that's what they're going to become, but that's obviously the, the way that is directed. A couple of things I would mention about the actual interior of the TARDIS since we've waited so long. One is that when he, when he opens the, the, the flap below the console and says that uh, we're now going to go... Uh, into the centre of the TARDIS. Maybe we'll hear about that in a minute. But um, I'm thinking, you know, he just said to the guys, uh, uh, this is a big ship. Think of the biggest ship you've ever seen. Right, this is a lot bigger, it's infinite. And I'm thinking, well, if it's infinite, how can it have a centre? But that's just me. Uh, but I did love when they went below the console and they had this... Um, I hate to call it a light bulb arrangement, but... Um, I thought that worked very well. The the sort of brains of the. Are you the talking about the, the, the liquid were... metal? Um, the, I mean, the living yeah, metal. No, no, the... The, yeah, the, those tubes that hung down with the globes oh, on. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah. I think um, that, that's what Taras was talking about before. The the, the the treasure, the greatest treasure of were, it, really. Um, you know, uh, that little scanner said it was something else. It was everything, or you know, and basically, it could produce anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that was one of the things that was good because th then people would say, "Oh, so that's how we get the new, you know, the the new wallpaper, the new colour schemes, the new TARDIS consoles." You know, that that's basically, you know, the a multi-brain core of of uh, the TARDIS, and it's and, that. And, and that also explains how the Doctor can have almost any type of equipment inside the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. Yes, because it's just like a physical manifestation. I mean, uh, every switch probably does what it always does. It just looks a different switch, uh, but it basically has the same function. Uh, uh, it's just the way it's, um, well, like I said, wallpaper. We're right under the primary fuel cell. So, so, so what? So, so. Well, the fuel spilled out. So the rods will be exposed, means they'll call and... Start to warp? And start to warp, maybe even... No, you don't say it. Mm. Don't you dare say it. Maybe even... Break apart. What? I'm lucky now you're thinking. Yeah. Ah! I'll cut it off! Tell him. Tell me what? Robots don't need blast suits, they don't need respirators, they don't get frightened of monsters in the dark. But you, my friend, are human. It was a joke. Ah! It was just a stupid joke. We did it to relieve the boredom. Well, it was very funny. Sorry. Where are we? Power source. Right, you lot wait here. I'll check it safe. We can only survive for a minute or two in there. What happens if we stay longer? Our cells will liquefy and our skin will start to burn. I always feel so good after we've spoken. Marvellous. Keep this door shut. That will not be a problem. Why don't I remember? It was a salvage accident. Big explosion. You lost your sight, voice and your memory. And you... you thought away you could have some fun with me? I just wear a brother beside me! You were always the small one, Tricky. He wanted you to take over. He made you captain. He? Dad. Yeah, so they... Pretty much goes to what we were just mm. talking about. Indeed, yeah. Um, quite a few things there that, um, uh, I'm, you know, uh, I love Clara in this episode, but I mean, like, 
we have the same issue, I think, here as we did with Hyde in Nether's Watch, as they could go only go into that pocket universe for a couple of minutes. The TARDIS would only survive a couple of minutes. They can only go into this central room where there's some manifestation of the Eye of Harmony or some aspect of that for a couple of minutes. But the, the scene seems to, to run a lot longer. And although it was very nice to see this, of course, uh, we've, we talked about the Eight Doctor uh, a little while ago um, and the, the, the whole idea in the console there. And they had the idea of the Eye of Harmony inside the TARDIS. And, of course, a lot of people feel as though, no, uh, the Eye of uh, the Eye of Harmony must be on Gallifrey. But, of course, then we've got the Time War issue and Gallifrey not being there. But uh, we had this vision of, as of a, a, a collapsing black hole held in stasis, uh, which, again, was realised rather difficultly, because if it's a black hole, how could light be coming out of it? The other thing is they seem to look up towards that, and yet when they were on that sort of um, bridge affair where they were fighting, they actually seemed to fall into uh, the Eye of Harmony. They seemed to fall into to, to flames, uh, which, of course, was how they became cindified, however <laughs> you want to call it. Um, but I must admit, uh, I, hadn't, uh, it, I, hadn't, I hadn't made the connection, perhaps I'm a bit slow, of the, the, the fact that the, the, the creature that was going around with its hand to its forehead was actually the Doctor. Uh, the, the two, uh, the joint figures joined together were actually uh, these two brothers, which, of course, is why the Doctor at some point just about now tells them not to touch one another uh, because they're going to make things come true. And, of course, um, we have the scene where Clara's looking through the, uh, the doorway and seeing this uh, creature trying to get at her and we then find out that that indeed is Clara's fate if the Doctor doesn't resolve uh, the issue. Well, I, I don't think you were daft in any... I mean, I think that was the whole point. I think the audience didn't realize it until the scene who these, what these creatures were, because the Doctor was deliberately holding back on that information and didn't want Clara to find out. And uh, I think the audience, you know, unless they were very clever, they, they didn't know either, you know, on until we, we discover in this scene here. And as far as the Eye of Harmony, I thought it was consistent to what we source, you know, in, in a similar respect with um, the 1996 movie where the Eye of Harmony is exposed and, um, you know, is it, 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 you know it's like this fiery, you know, chasm, you know, where... So I, I, I thought... It, and causes all sorts of bad things to happen yeah. when it's open for too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, if we, if we go back to classic Who, I mean, the idea is, isn't it, that you know, a collapsing black hole is the source of the power of the the Time Lords. That that's the thing that Omega and that did. I mean, that, unless I'm completely messing up, and listeners, I'm sorry if I do. But um, but maybe there's I, I an aspect of it in every TARDIS that that uh, maybe yeah. there's an aspect of that in in every uh, that. Well, there is in Hyde. That's what he mentioned in Hyde. He brought out that crystal, which he said was a a sub part of of Har the Eye of Harmony, didn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I, I but think, anyway, they seemed to be in that room for too long to me. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought. It, it did. I mean, it, it did like seem Captain like they Jack. should have started, you know, deteriorating the way the doctors made it out to seem that if you're in there for too long, they, it seemed like they did run more than just a few minutes in there. But, you know, I didn't actually time it, but it seemed that way. Uh, the other thing that uh, I don't 
well, comments from you guys about it is that when the doctor had said, you know, oh, I'd started to self-destruct, oh, you got fooled by that, I hadn't really, I just twiddled a few knobs, and then the the tar is, is starting to destruct, and there's the point where they actually go, and they, there's a lovely scene, actually, with the actual TARDIS suppressing the... It's holding back the explosion, mm -hmm. so we've got this almost motionless... And I'm thinking, does that link all the way back... To the exploding TARDIS? To, um, the exploding TARDIS, and is it the Doctor that exploded the TARDIS? Because that, that was one of the few things that wasn't resolved, was it, in Time of the Doctor, that um, who, who, who exploded the Doctor? We, 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 we got all the things about the silence and this, that and the other... No, I, I'm content. I'm content to you know that that's what that you know that was a um, foretelling of this. I'm you know I'm all content. When River when River songs in it and she's mm -hmm. in this sort of exploding paradox yeah. uh, time loop. Yeah, where he finds the piece of the TARDIS and um, you know. Well, know. that's happening to her during the course of what's happening here because what's happening here is leaking to where she was there. It's it's very possible, yes. When, when the doctor sets the uh, the faux self destruct mechanism, I really thought that that was kind of callous. But then when uh, I thought about it and uh, saw what kind of people the crew of the salvage vessel were, it was kind of just desserts for. Uh, these people to be subjected to that kind of motivation. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, Indeed. I think you're right. Yeah. Because I mean, essentially they're, they're like Jawas, you know, they're going to take whatever, you know, they, they, you tell them not to take it. They took, I mean, they, he, he, he asked them to return that. Well, I was kind of referring to how they treated each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Indeed. that's true too. Yeah. Well, they're, well, they're callous and, you know, well, like like you say, and again, I mean, the, as soon as he had his first opportunity and found out all the, all from that little device he had, all the, uh, the important stuff in the TARDIS, he's, he's not averse to sending his brother to say, look, well, you know, you, you go back up and start dismantling the console, uh, you know, even though they were, as far as he knew at that point, you know, time was against them, he was going to lead a he was going to leave Aladdin's cave, with an Aladdin's lamp, come what may, wasn't he? Because, I mean, the Doctor had already figured out that, that that one particular character wasn't an android and, you know, and he was waiting for them to, you know, um, you know, to tell him. And uh, the, the, I'm forgetting their names now, but uh, you know who I'm talking about. The, the, whoever, when, in, in that scene where, he, where that metal was tra trapped him and, you know. <laughs> well, thinly, uh, thinly veiled the van... Halen Brothers, apparently, that Darth said that's uh, <laughs> famously uh, uh, fell out. But uh, uh, Gregor Van Balin, Bram Van Balin, and uh, Tricky, was he called, uh, as they called him. But what about that uh, lovely central explosion scene? I thought that was well done. Yeah, I thought, um, technically, I, I think this is a very well done episode. I know you, you, you made a comment earlier, Dave, that you thought it was a model or whatever. I thought the effects were good. I thought the, the sound was good. Uh, the music, I thought, was excellent as well. I, I thought the, the, the scenes of the ship, when you see the exterior of the spaceship, uh, was very reminiscent to, that worked, yeah. to the Bells of St. John, where the music that was heard 
when the doctor takes that motorcycle that can travel up, you know, that had the anti-grav on it, when he's traveling on that motorcycle, that it, it seemed to hawk back to that. It was reminiscent to that um, music that was being played there. So I, I thought there was a, a nice little beat that was going on there. Um, and and, I, and like I said, technically, I, I think everything worked well. I think the the direction was good and. Uh, um, uh, I quite enjoyed it. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, there, there's some flaws and there, there's some parts that I might have done a little differently myself. Or, but otherwise, I think it was a a nice um, piece of storytelling. Yeah, it was, it was that. It was the model scene where the the grappling hook was bringing the TARDIS in. It, 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 it that didn't work for me. Uh, and one of the other things we didn't mention was when we were seeing around it, we actually saw the um, the telescope, didn't we? From was it Tooth and Claw? Um, uh, from the Torchwood Institute, we saw that through one of the uh, yeah one of the rooms. The I rooms thought it, are, it, it looked are, familiar. Are a compliment yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of eye candy in this episode, but I thought that the the story itself was kind of thin, outside mm. of the uh, just the uh, playing with time that it did. I like the idea of echo. Uh, you know, the console had produced echoes of itself um, because we had this part where Clara was wandering around and she seemed to be sort of um, in a slightly different frame of reference to them. Uh, that was another case, as you said, uh, Lewis, when when we're hearing these voices leak through, uh, and uh, I thought that worked very well. But, but I must admit. Uh, I thought Clara stole most of those scenes. The way she reacted to things, she's she's just uh, so highly watchable. Um, uh, that was great. Um, not too sure about how successful that scene was when um, uh, they come through a doorway and there's like um, a golf or a, I suppose it's it, it was mm-hmm. a a manifestation of a leap of faith, wasn't it? Yeah. And still at this point. The Doctor, remember with High, we talked about that where the real purpose of him going to uh, to that place was not to find the ghost, but was to actually find the uh, the girl who was empathic to find out, to see if she could, you know, fathom out more clues about Clara, you know, you know is she a fake or whatever. Uh, and even at this point when we're at that final scene, the Doctor's still not sure and he just about realises at this point if there is something wrong with Clara Clara herself doesn't know either. Yeah, I, I mean? I, I thought it was a good scene and I think uh, Matt Smith did very well there. Uh, I, I um, Someone earlier in, in you know, in, in out this episode here in in this episode of Pachocks mentioned how Matt Smith can play older very well and I, I think he does that in this scene so well because just the dialogue that he delivers, it it just had a sense of of so of an experienced time lord, you know, of who he is, and I think um, General Louise Coleman did a great job too, you know, just taking that all in, you know, what, what do you mean that I've I've lived all these other lives and died, and you're scaring me now, and and then she then when they do hug, he's you know she she embraces that too, you know, I, I you know she went from being frightened to comforting on the flip of the dime there, and, and it just seemed to work so well. The heart of the TARDIS. The engine 
already exploded. It must have been the collision with the salvage ship. We're not dead. Eventually, this whole place will erupt. There's no way I can save her now. Fragile human skin. My parchment, thank you. Uh, the rift in time, all the memories leaking out. I need to find the moment we crashed. I need to find... Music. The time rift. Recent past, possible future. What are you going to do? We write today, I hope. I've thrown this through the rift before. I need to make sure this time. I don't think I didn't know myself. All those things you said. How we met before, how I died. Clara, don't worry. You'll forget. Time mends us. It can mend anything. I don't want to forget. Not all of it. The library. I saw it. We were mentioned in a book. I mentioned in a lot of books. You call yourself Doctor. Why do you do that? You have a name. I've seen it in one corner of that tiny... If I rewrite today, you won't remember. You won't go looking for my name. Hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, and when he's talking about a, a flash, the reason why he's so pleased is that he's seeing the, uh, the big friendly button... Uh, burnt onto her palm at that point because it's it's suddenly come out in a in a defined luster um and then, and we also hear this is a premonition as well to to the fact that um you know forgetting things and uh, i mean in one sense the the physical reset of this story is the fact that you know they have the big friendly button so he knows to do it to do it so but in in many ways the reset is really the resetting of the information that they get because uh, clara i mean he, the doctor presumably slightly got resistance to that uh, as we find out in the other story where you know from from uh, uh, the the 10th doctor and the the warrior doctor they completely forget but matt smith uh, sorry the the 11th doctor feels that he did some changes so he, he partially remembers uh, where everyone else him around him doesn't and here of course we have that thing that clara will forget all this but they definitely forge a closer relationship, even though a lot of it will be lost on her. Uh, I suppose you could argue the Doctor is finding more about it. But this is definitely one of these episodes where, when I first watched it, I thought this big red button was a, was a get-out. And then I realised that, in actual fact, the story... Of uh, the story of the TARDIS exploding in a way wasn't the story. The story was really him finding out more about... Clara, and um, and as as Tara said, we're, we're we're just getting a lot of eye candy thrown in as well. So basically, the story didn't didn't really have to be that strong because there were so many other enjoyable elements within it. Um, so it is definitely one that bears watching two or three times, uh, with the caveat that. There were still some issues I had with, like, uh, you know, the Eye of Harmony and uh, the the, uh, the 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 cast of uh, the, the the grouping, and 
if I'm going to just carry on for one minute, one thing that was strange about this, and talked about this with Ian as well on the commentary and and, uh, and with Mike when we did that for the Cult Collective, and that was the fact that um, at the end, when everything is sort of reset, it's more than reset because there's a little cameo scene at the end where the the brothers are together, but uh, the pictures change behind them. The one we see on the locker right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and um, I think one of the brothers said uh, something like, I, I still have a bit of goodness in me or something, which is something that the doctor had said to him. And But their, their history has slightly changed. So yeah, it, before they meet, it wasn't a complete reset because well, even we learn later that Clara remembers a little of it, you know, that that she supposedly was supposed to forget, you know, and 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 I think the doctor does the doctor remember everything because it seems like he, uh, he no, the doctor remembers more. He, yeah, he, he seems to more, have yes, retained no, that as well. I mean, he makes a comment like it's like you lived, you know, to Clara, like it's like you lived two days in in an hour or something like that. I forgot the exact you know phrase that he used, but. So I'm assuming that the doctor is remembering it all, but Clara, you know, I think th there's leak, <laughs> their memory leaks, you know, because even like you said, then um, that epilogue with, um, you know, with the three brothers, you know, and their pictures changed. I saw that too because originally the um, was I'm forgetting the names. Um, it was torn off. One, tricky one side is, is tricky. Is the, the one that thought yeah. was an android. So I think he was yeah. torn off from that picture originally, and then now he's included yeah. as one of the brothers. Yeah, the picture was complete, so there was a physical change. So it wasn't just the fact that they had come to accept him as the brother, and they changed in their attitudes. They'd, it had been reset slightly. So in other words, the reset button had gone back. Perhaps it's because it had just gone back a little before the events had happened. So maybe it set their re-events back, but it almost as though it set it back more. But uh, anyway, that's my take on it. I, um, um, some of the things that you thought were great when you were watching it weren't the most important parts of the story. But uh, again, um, to me... Clara's shone out as the uh, the enduring part of this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so much happier as a companion. I don't know how well she'll work with an old an older actor playing the Doctor uh, going forward. On the other hand, I never I never saw her and this, the Eleventh Doctor as being, you know, uh, the sort of um, is this your snog box and all this. I never really I never really bought into that aspect of it because I always thought that she's so much out of his league if they were going to go down that route and I, I never saw that as being the way forward so in some ways I'm almost hopeful that um, with the, the the 12th Doctor going forward it's going to be a more you know Sarah Jane and Third Doctor mm -hmm. companion Doctor relation but that's jumping ahead I haven't heard what you guys think yet this is a, a, a welcome change it wasn't uh, you know a a story where the doctor was saving the universe, he was saving the TARDIS in a sense, you know, and so often the TARDIS saves him, so he's pretty much trying to return the favor in, in a sense, and obviously, and, and trying to save their own lives as well, because uh, if, if we've seen the, the future with those creatures and what they would all become if, if, if he doesn't change the, the current path of um, where they were going. There's some areas where 
I, like I said before, I, I would have done differently myself. But when I first saw it's kind of weird because you said you, uh, Dave, you had mentioned that you seem to enjoy this more as, as, it, as you saw, you know, the more times mm-hmm. you saw. And um, for me, I, I, when I rewatched it again just recently, I was, I was actually a little disappointed because, you know, anytime you watch a Doctor Who episode, a Doctor Who episode, there's a lot of it relies on expectations. So my memory was that I enjoyed it. I had higher expectations. So for some reason, I, I seem to remember enjoying it more than when I had rewatched it. But then when I, I, I watched twice now, right before, you know, um, you know, I watched it earlier today and then on Monday I had watched it on that other time. Now I, I enjoyed it more than I did before. I know it's, it's kind of confusing, but but I, I, I think... Dave, I'm surprised at that because you, you just said that uh, a couple of episodes ago that you'd got your big telly back set up so yeah. presumably this was the first time you were seeing this on the well on it is it is that's, that's why it's... well i would have thought you'd have enjoyed well yeah yeah i i me too i thought i would have thought so as well yeah so that's why it was kind of surprising then seeing it again um for whatever time you know that that <laughs> seeing it again on the second time on, on in the HD with the which which with the digital um, audio and all that, I enjoyed it more so. So yeah, there's, there's that. But I think you're right. I think it's it, this is a good story with uh, as far as Clara goes, as you know, as she learns more about you know what the doctor knows and um, and 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 she, she finds out more about who the doctor is and. Um, you know, so she, you know, she she gets a, a look at the book and um and the time war and and of course it's always great seeing the inside of the TARDIS and and you know the the themes of the past coming back because this again like I said before this was leading to the 50th anniversary so uh, I I just thought that it was nice having um some of the um, some of the audios from uh, you know elements from past adventures leaking in and we're hearing that and it sort of ties everything together and so it's it's always a treat seeing more of the TARDIS the TARDIS as a character and um, and and seeing um, you know Matt Smith the 11th Doctor and General Louise Coleman playing Clara uh, I think they they all worked very well together the three other characters, although you know, playing maybe cliche trucker types, it's it's sort of, it had a little theme of heavy metal. If you've seen the movie heavy, the animated movie Heavy Metal, it had sort of that theme with you know, the, well, with the music and their attitudes towards each other, you know, a, a bit callous and crude. And I I, I thought it worked for for what they were doing, you know, as as um, scavengers, and um, and then we see them change a little bit. So I think there's some development there, and I, and I thought they were, they had a background, and it, they fleshed out the characters a little bit more than, uh, than what we might have seen, you know, earlier with, because um, they just didn't have an opportunity with Hyde, you know, what we just saw earlier with the time traveler or, or, or that creature in the woods and whatever. Um, that's not to say that the professor and his companion there weren't um, fleshed out. They did well yeah. with that. His assistant, yeah, yeah, all right. This episode was a uh, another piece of the puzzle leading up to the anniversary episode and the season finale mm-hmm. in that it set the stage that there might be something involving the time war with the uh, hints mm-hmm. given in this episode and also with the looping of time and the reset button, it... Uh, kind of gave us a few hints for what we would 
eventually see in the uh, anniversary special. That's true. And it took me a second viewing before I got how all the different things that happened in the episode flowed together. Yeah. Because there was one piece that I missed near the beginning that kind of confused me on my first watching as to where the button came from. Yeah, I, I think that's it's that's but an important then, point. Uh, I, yeah. Then I saw it when uh, the doctor grabs it from one of the brothers. Yes. That, well, I, uh, yeah, from his pocket. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I had the same feeling too. The first time seeing this, you know, it, I, again, you really have to pay attention, and that's why maybe sometimes rewatching it, and you know, you 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 pick up on things that you might have missed on the first time. That's exactly. That's exactly my point. I didn't think as much of this the first time around because I thought they're taking the mickey here. Not only are we having a reset button, they're literally having a reset button. I mean, they're not even pretending. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, it's like when you watch uh, Star Trek, I mean, that's in where, sorry, Star Trek Voyager, I think it was, where you're watching a crew of Star Trek Voyager and, the, and, and, and they all blow up or something. You think, what's happened there? And it turns out it's a... It's a clone crew or something, you know what I mean? And you think you almost feel cheated because you thought they've, you know, they've blown it up, but it wasn't really blown up. That was an alternate universe, or uh, 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 clones of it, or you know, whatever. So I felt slightly cheated with that solution because basically, if writers use that option too often, and there's some. People would think they've already done that too often in Doctor Who. You can argue you can go anywhere and do anything. I mean, let's face it, Doctor Who can go anywhere and do anything anyway. So you almost don't need the reset button in the sense of there's a, there's a way you can get out of it. He's got a time machine. But, of course, then we have this constraint that yeah. once the TARDIS is involved in a story, you can't do it. So in other words, they constrain themselves with that because that will be too easy to get out. Well, that's but why it's important to have limitations. Reset buttons, exactly. Yeah. But this, so when I first watched it, I was disappointed that it was just a, the reset button was actually the literal reset button we saw thrown in at the beginning. But then I enjoyed it more from the character development, I suppose, even though a lot of it was taken uh, away from us when we think that the memories are going to go. But like you said, I, I'm pretty sure that the Doctor remembered most of this. Uh, going forward, uh, we don't know so much whether his companion did. So um, I think that was it. Well, I, really. I think in a, fu- I, I d- in a future story, I think Clara says that she remembers bits of it, or she remembers some of it. She she makes she she alludes to some something to that she remembers, or she has impressions if it, uh, of it, mm. or I don't know. Well, I know Taras doesn't give a rating, so uh, let me get. Uh, I think when on first watching, I, I probably was giving it maybe two and a half, three. Simply, like you say, because expectations were high. I, I would have probably rated it a three and a half, but I was so wanting it to be marvellous. Uh, it was more like two and a half to three. But on my second viewing, and I think today has been the fourth viewing of it, I think it's uh, a good four and a half. I think, I, I think on the... Um, on the Podshock, Gallifrey MC Podshock site, I think I rated it a four out of five, mm-hmm. whenever that rating was. Well, I, I'm I'm in a similar situation because if you had asked me Monday when I wa- watched it again, I probably would have said three and a half 
out of five TARDIS groans, and now I'm saying five, four out of five TARDIS groans. And um, and also just to reiterate what um, Dave just stated about the website, there's a poll that we have on our website. Uh, you know, once the episode goes out, we usually have shortly after a, a poll where you can cast your TARDIS groans on what you thought of, of, of this story. So although we, you know, we had this already back in April, uh, the end of April, uh, we'll bring that poll back to the front page after the, when this episode, when you're listening to this episode. So you can go to uh, Pachak.net and cast your vote, too. Uh, does Charles want to make any last thoughts? I know he doesn't uh, uh, Standing by itself, I really did not see the story as being that strong compared to some of the other stories that we had just seen. But as part of the arc that leads us to the series finale and then the uh, anniversary special, it was a logical progression in the various bits that we needed to see to then make sense of what we saw in the finale and in the uh, anniversary special. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out some of the parallels um, or foreshadowing that this has to what's to come. And, and I had mentioned that in some of the other episodes that we had uh, reviewed in the past few weeks, that uh, this half of the latter half of the seventh series was kind of set up to lead right into the uh, finale and then the anniversary special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's still... I think Stephen Moffat still left himself too many T's to cross and I's to dot in the M one, but there's actually, as you quite rightly say, Tyler, there's, 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 there's quite a few little hints coming in there. I mean, even the reference to cracks here is um, uh, another thing that that, that that leads into the the final episode. But you were mentioning earlier about uh, not knowing why the TARDIS blew up in Series 5, and in the finale, not the finale, in the uh, Christmas special, they had mentioned that uh, one of the factions of the, the Church silence. of the Papal Mainframe oh, had right. gone back in time to try to stop the Doctor from getting to Trenzalore, and that they're the ones that got caught in the Destiny Paradox, and they became part of the uh, events that they were trying to prevent. So basically, they blew up the TARDIS. Right, right. Shall we move to feedback? Yes. Sure. As always, you can send us feedback, and, and and this you could also send us your, what your opinion is of this story or anything else. Um, you know, as long as it's Doctor Who related, uh, you could send feedback to Pachak at feedback. I'm sorry, <laughs> send it to. I, I'm talking about um, time shifting here. Um, it's it's um, feedback at Pachak.net is the email address, and you could um, you could use your smartphone to record a voice memo and just simply email it to that address. Again, that's feedback at podshock.net. Or if you like, you could call the Podshock public call box at 206-337-4699. And that works like voicemail, so you can just leave a message there and um, for it to be played back. Or you could do what Blue Box Bill did and um, record his... Um, well, actually, you know, he, he made his own little... Um, 
welcome back message to us. As as you know, it's been um, since October that we returned after dealing with uh, Super Superstorm Sandy, and this is um, Blue Box Bill and um, his little welcome back message. Welcome back. It's been a while since Sandy knocked you out. Welcome back to this space in time. Dream out loud. There's nothing new to report. Nothing's going down. We're just glad to hear you're back around. Pod shock in the feed. Exactly what we need. We missed it a lot. Welcome back, Podshock. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Happy travels from Blue Box Bill. That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. That was clever. Yes, that's a very warm welcome back, yes. And I'm glad to be back. And, you know, uh, he said nothing's going on or nothing's going down. But that was just ap- just the opposite. You know, we, I'm thankful that we were able to come back just in time for, you know, the, the 50th anniversary. You know, it was uh, um, pretty much on the, the, a year after Sandy on the anniversary there. We, we came back at the end of October and, um, and, and have been, you know, back since. So, um, so much, had, you know, it was going on in November during the 50th anniversary so it was um great to be back for that and um and we continue on now so and, and don't <laughs> i hope that doesn't intimidate other people from sending back feedback you don't have to go that elaborate uh, i it's great that that um bill did and i'm much appreciative of it but you could just send a, a, a simple voice it, it's sort of like um you know, our last episode where we had, um, I think it was Henrik sent a, a 15 second uh, message. So it could be um, it could be 15 seconds or, um, or, or or three minutes or whatever. As long as it's not too long. And um, but it doesn't have to be a big production. But if you do do a big production, it's great as well. <laughs> do you want me to read out Paul's? Oh, yes. I you don't have to twist my arm. Well, I've got an email in from Paul. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Let me see if I can do it justice. Hello, Lewis, Dave, and the rest of the Podshock team. First and foremost, congratulations on a successful podcast that kept me entertained for hours since I discovered you about six months ago. Although I have memories of Doctor Who stretching back to the late 70s with Tom at the helm, I specifically recall the whole family settling down to watch the regeneration to Davidson, I wonder if you had to lock the door to keep them in. Anyway, um, my interest had waned over the years, and it wasn't until the relaunch with Eccleston that I finally rekindled my love of Doctor Who. Anyway, watching the 50th episode last November got me thinking about the next anniversary and the ones after that. Does the panel agree with me that whilst Matt Tennant and Capaldi are still the right age, that perhaps with a little thought that I don't have the skill to give, 
it would be a great idea to film perhaps five to ten minutes worth of footage of each one that could be incorporated incorporated into, say, the 60th, the 75th, or even the 100th anniversary episode. I mean, just to run as a side plot to the main story, of course, and maybe green screen footage so that it will blend with perhaps the current Doctor Who of the time. I know this would mean spending money that the BBC could maybe struggle to see the immediate benefit of, but hey, the time is now and the choice is there. So what do you guys think? Look forward to hearing your opinions on the matter. Keep up the great work and I look forward to the next episode of Potshot as always. Later, guys. Paul. It's a fantastic idea, but I, um, practically speaking, I, I, you know, they don't know what the script or the story for future anniversaries would be, so I don't know what they could actually shoot that they would be able to incorporate in in such a thing. And and as as he said himself, and, and that sounds a, and that sounds a bit presumptuous, where you're probably going to impose on another production crew your ideas where they might mm-hmm. want to take the show in a totally yeah. different direction and for the 100th well, anniversary I'm sure they probably can digitally bring these actors back to life <laughs> you know right? Yeah, that, you might have William Hartnell in the 100th anniversary Christopher Eccleston promise to come for the 100th anniversary <laughs> maybe if, I, I'm sure they, they'll rematerialize them digitally I mean, I think it, it is a great idea, but you, the, the two or three things I would think of. First of all, um, yes, the, the BBC cash trap would hard to, to get that passed because, of course, not only would they have to record it now, but I think they'd have to record it in what, what, what is called 4K TV. They, they, you know, they couldn't assume that high definition now yeah, well, that was, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, we don't know for the hundredth anniversary. Yeah. We don't know what K will be at. Will be it will be a hologram. Well, it could be hot. Yeah, of course. But I mean, they would have to get it in the best. How, having said that, um, in Japan, they've already started testing uh, 8K television. Uh, we haven't even got the 4K TVs. I mean, don't forget the lead time for this is tremendous. Apparently, the first high definition. Uh, television images captured were at something like the 1976 Los, Los Angeles Games. Uh, you know, they were doing experiments even back then. But but I think it's a lovely idea, could it be done? Especially if it's a sort of little, uh, you know, little vignette or a little, you know, the caught in a time loop or, mm-hmm. you know, um, some, uh, re- uh, some triangle has come out of the sky and captured them <laughs> off the pond. I mean... Uh, that I, I love the idea, but uh, again, as Lewis says, probably by then, what I would say would be great is, like they've done for the Eleventh Doctor, uh, they digitised him in 3D. You know, as they put them in one of these little chambers and mm-hmm. capture him in yeah. complete surround for the computer game. Now, it would be marvellous if when. When, like, we've just talked about it, haven't we? You said it yourself, Lewis, that we had the Peter Capaldi picture there uh, with his against a white screen so they can show him inside the console room or whatever, uh, but they've got that white screen footage that they can mat him into things. Now, if you move one stage on and instead of doing just that, they did a 3D, you know, um, you know out of the, the brothers, the, the, is it the Cohen brothers that did The Matrix? Uh, bullet time business 
I did a bullet time view of them for each of the doctors who, well, certainly Paul McGann would be worth doing still. Whether you could say that, uh, you know, uh, and I think actually, uh, when I think about it, the seventh doctor you could still do as well. Colin Baker, by his own admission, he doesn't look like he used to, uh, so that would be difficult. But certainly Eccleston, uh, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, uh, uh, the 10th uh, and 11th Doctors, you could certainly do it for. Uh, so I think it would be lovely, but probably technology could overtake events. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a smaller sense, it was already done. But Peter, Peter Capaldi was inserted, you know, into the 50th anniversary uh, special before he, you know, even came about, you know, before the, um, he was really introduced and before he regenerated. So they, they, they knew who the 12th Doctor was going to be. And obviously they just shot his eyes because they couldn't show his costume because at that time that wasn't established. So in a sense, um, well, you know, uh, Moffat had... Uh, Stephen Moffat had already done this, you know, um, pre thought about this for the 50th anniversary. And then, in a sense, they did that with the shot of footage for the, um, for the 20th anniversary. They, they, they had this footage of Tom Baker, you know, from an episode that never went out, you know, and it was never completed. So they have this footage that was sh partially shot but never went out. So they used that for, the, for him being trapped in the, in, in, that, um, in the Matrix or whatever that was. Well, that's I think a good what they will do in the uh, 75th anniversary is they'll pop over to Madame Tussauds and borrow a couple of uh, wax figures for the uh, mm -hmm. They could scan that in. Photo. <laughs> <laughs> borrow staggering stories for uh, three head. But, um, yeah, no, um, one of the things is, I mean, they did it in the in, in, when they had all 13 Doctors. Didn't the first Doctor... Uh, weren't the lines that said that the first doctor never said, but they 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 had a voice actor. They had a, um, if you a see that if you voice actor to do that. If you, I'm assuming so because there's at the end credits there's someone listed as a voice actor. So I'm assuming that, um, that was the Hartnell lines, the the first doctor lines. Right. It's a good idea, but practically I, it's just impossible to do because. Um, you know, as Taras said, we don't, and, and as, as I said, we don't know what story they would come up with, and you couldn't come up with a story now and lock them into it because they're going to do whatever they want to do come that year anyway. They're not going to. But maybe, um, you know, depending they on. They may erase all of the previous history. <laughs> they may wipe the tapes. In a future story. <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, the point is, if if the if the the stuff that hits the cutting room floor is kept, and of course, the, the, presumably they'd have to have clearance when there's something in the contract that, um, you know, any footage that isn't broadcast can be broadcast at a later date. There's no sort of time limit on it. Uh, presumably, they get paid, or their estate would get paid. Well, also, anyway, I don't know about you guys. I I plan to be here for the seventy fifth one at least myself. I uh, wow, and and the hundredth as well, and <laughs> and so forth. Uh, but I'm this, not that ambitious. But seventy fifth, yeah. There's also the factor that the actors would have to agree to. I mean, if if they were to like to scan them in digitally now and for future, you know. Um, 
portrayals, you know, for, for future work that they'll they'll have to do after they have passed, perhaps. You know, the, you know, some some actors don't want that to come to pass, so um, you know, they would have to because. You know, because the, they could be reused over and over again Plus, without any are they compensation. Not get the royalties until it airs. Yeah, so, so they may not be around for it. It's not going <laughs> to air in like twenty-five years. Exactly. That's like free work. That's what I'm saying. So I mean, unless they volunteer themselves, and you know, um, yeah. There's one thing as well, though, that with something like the Eleventh Doctor doing quite a lot of work for computer uh, games, one of the things that, I mean, I know virtually nothing about computer games, but one of the things I do know is that they have the actor repeat and say so many words in lots of different intonations uh, so that they can play them, so that when the person gets to a certain part in the game, the doctor can be can say the words in, and they can construct sentences from individual words because they've done they, the inflection they, they, differently. They did that with Tom Baker with for um, for British Telecom a few years ago, where they they had his right. uh, uh, voice, you know, where he went in there and I guess recorded the whole dictionary, and um, so you could have Tom Baker say whatever message you want him to say because he was the the voice of um, British Telecom. Um, uh, was right. So, uh, if you've like got that. this CG, if you've got the CGI, uh, and you've got their voices recorded, where you can virtually construct. I mean, I mean, it's terrible, really, isn't it? I mean, one of the things I remember growing up with was the fact that uh, you know you, you, people could splice tapes and you could listen to a conversation, but it could have been altered. But a photograph couldn't be altered. So if you saw a photograph of an event, it must have happened. And, <laughs> and now we know ever since yeah. Forrest Gump that that's not the truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if it's, if you, Good idea. Thanks if it's on the internet, it, you know it has anyway. to be true. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. It's, uh, I, I, it's great, you know, uh, to speculate about these things and what's possible and what may... I mean... Uh, what often is the case is that when the future does come to pass is that we're going to have technology that we never had dreamt of presently, you know, um, you know, I mean, so much of what we thought would be far in the future is already with us now. In the 1980s, I was expecting flying cars in 1980s. I'm still waiting. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll send you a flying car. I'm still waiting to upgrade my 408 line television. <laughs> like I said, in, in um, for the hundredth anniversary, we don't know what we're going to be watching Doctor Who on. Well, I, I'll be on on the moon on holiday on the moon. What? <laughs> well, I'll be there with you, <laughs> with with the disabled uh, rover from China. Yeah, there'll be a retirement ho home with the low gravity. That's going to wrap up things for this episode. We'll be back, and I'm assuming what we'll be reviewing will be the next episode, which is the Crimson Horror. So, um, just uh, giving you fair warning. So, if you want to rewatch oh, that, you put me right off me mash. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so if you're listening now, you could uh, rewatch that episode. So it'll be fresh in your mind, and um, and we'll go from there. So, thank you once again, Taras and Dave, for um, for being part of this um, this episode here. It's always great having you on board. It's great uh, discussing Doctor Who with you guys again. Yeah, I hope you've got that big friendly red button to hit in a moment. <laughs> yes. 
All right, and you can always catch Dave on the Cultum. Always at the ready. The Cultum Collective on Sundays at two. Um, two uh, that's two p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. Uh, um, so on TalkShoe.com, and the TalkShoe ID number for that is Dave. Five four eight two one. Okay, so uh, if you want to listen live, or you can catch their show on um, on your favorite podcast um, retrieval um, software. Um, most uh, most of <laughs> it could be iTunes, or it could be um, uh, your podcatcher. You... Yeah, or you could uh, what is it? Uh, Podbay. Now you have uh, it's listed there as well somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's on loads of them now. It's on Tuned In, it's on uh, uh, Flux 8, it's on, uh, oh, heavens, Player FM, it's uh, uh, Miro Guide, Daily Splice. Uh, it's like a in. disease. You it's just can't, it's, it's all over you. It's, <laughs> so <laughs> wear a mask. <laughs> no, po- no, no. Podcast Blaster. Yeah, the lot. It's it's infected everywhere. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time. So cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. don't understand. Give me a price tag. Incalculable. What? More valuable than the total sum of any currency. Living metal. Bespoke engineering. Whatever machine you require, this system will build it. She won't let you touch it. I can feel a TARDIS tantrum coming on.